Hello and welcome to the Biosat Podcast. I'm Alex Miller with Corporate Communications. And today we're talking with John Williams, Vice President of Real-Time Earth at Biosat. Thanks for being on the podcast today, John. Thanks, Alex. Pleasure to be here. Yeah. So, John, we wanted to catch up with you to follow up on some recent news about Real-Time Earth. It's now available as a service option with Microsoft Azure through their new um, Azure Orbital ecosystem. Uh, And that's something to assist with Earth observation and remote sensing applications through the cloud. So, that's pretty big news. Uh, But before we talk more about that, I wanted to ask first about Real-Time Earth, or as we often refer to it, RTE. So, can you describe the the basic story about Real-Time Earth, what it is and and how it works? So, uh, Real-Time Earth provides what's called ground station as a service or GSAS capabilities. It's focused primarily on non-satellite communication satellites in orbits from low altitude LEO uh, up to geosynchronous kinds of orbits. As you said earlier, uh, Earth observations satellites are the principal customer in, in that space. RTE works in a really highly automated fashion to connect those customer satellites to the ground so that their mission data uh, that they've collected on orbit can get to where the customer needs it to be, whether that's in their mission operations center or, as we see in the Microsoft Azure example, into the cloud for processing. Okay, well, I just wanted to, so real-time Earth is, is like a series of antennas that are be positioned around the globe, and it's and it's better than what, what people had before with these kind of satellites because it, it enables them to to transmit data more frequently. That's correct, right? Yes. And and so, like, what, what was it before, and, like, what are some of the problems that, that RTE solves for customers using this service? So customers have a, a wide range of problems that, uh, when they're getting buying a service. There's a number of those problems that RTE solves, and and I'll speak to four of those. First, when a customer uses a service such as RTE, the customer is avoiding the capital expense of building out their own ground support infrastructure and the associated operational expense that required to operate that. Second, RTE's high level of automation simplifies greatly the time it takes to onboard the customers to use the network and the expense for them in non-recurring engineering, typically, for that customer to use the network compared to what we saw in legacy providers. Third is a problem of customer data latency, which is similar to what you were speaking to in in the proliferation of the network. Uh, RTE addresses data latency through uh, widely geographically dispersed ground, ground locations, and we put those in strategic places to make sure that the customer satellites get frequent opportunities to download their data. But we complement that with uh, Viasat very high-speed modems to enable them to to have fast downlinks to the data uh, when the customer satellite's over the ground station. So that greatly reduces the data latency, which is the time from the the, when the picture is taken to the time it gets uh, to where it needs to be processed. The fourth problem is related to data latency in, in a way. It's a question of where the signal and data are processed. RTE offers a degree of edge processing through our modulation and demodulation of the RF signal at the antenna. And that's built into our price. Uh, some of the newer cloud-based services do that function in the cloud, and they charge for it separately. Okay. So can you give one uh, kind of real-world example of you know uh, a pain point that a customer would have that's solved by RTE? So RTE's customers are typically the satellite operators that take the images. Those images go into a value chain to be processed and conveyed on to other uh, data users down uh, down that value chain, those customers might be looking at 
uh, how much uh, oil is in a is in a tank farm. Uh, how many cars are in a parking lot? Uh, what's the damage from a storm uh, to, to certain buildings from an insurance perspective? So there's a whole value chain of customers that use the data that came down over RTE antennas. RTE's immediate customer uh, is the is the satellite owner that takes the picture that then processes it, sells it on down the value chain. Okay, so I can see how um, you know that would uh, something like a, you know a parking lot or or you know those oil tanks would be something you would want to have in that real time as opposed to waiting a couple of hours, uh, which might have been the case in the past. Yes, investors, uh, insurance uh, companies, investors, and, and a number of other of those folks that are managing money, um, the real time uh, information or near real time informations useful for them in making decisions about where they put their money or do they make certain purchases uh, of more oil. Similarly, in emergencies, whether that's the nuclear emergency we had in Japan some years ago or the series of hurricanes we're having in the U.S. this year, uh, being able to assess uh, damage as soon as you can see it uh, after the storm has passed or the emergency has passed is really important. Right. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So um, so I also wanted to ask, uh, how long has uh, Real-Time Earth been around and, and what are the upcoming plans for growth? So RTE has been around about three years. It originally was created to be a complementary service business to our world-class antenna manufacturing business we have here in Atlanta. We at Viasat felt that we could offer GSAS in a different, more automated, I will joke, a more Viasat way than what was in the marketplace uh, in the legacy providers. At the same time, we felt that this service business might assist the growth of other of our broader space offerings in the marketplace and other business lines. Um, so that's, that's what we got in the business. Uh, as for plans for growth, we're still in the build-out phase. We're currently bringing our fourth and fifth ground stations online. Uh, we have an ultimate goal of about 10 to 12 ground locations, depending on on uh, the strategic location and, and our customer needs uh, for putting uh, antennas in different locations. And obviously, those locations will have more than one antenna over time to fulfill customer needs. All right. And so these are ground stations that look like, you know, people may have seen them, uh, you know, they're large antennas, uh, you know, surrounded by a fence and there's some other infrastructure around them. Yes. So, uh, you know, getting back to the latest announcement about uh, Azure Orbital, uh, can we start with a quick description of Microsoft Azure Orbital for those who may not be familiar? Sure. Um, Azure Orbital is also a GCS offering to the space marketplace. They see the advantage of locating antennas at some of their cloud computing data centers. So the data comes off the antenna straight into the data center to be processed. Their goal is to enable their customers who also fly satellites to get their data quickly in the cloud for compute and storage, which is where Azure Orbital really uh, makes their money on processing in the cloud. And then add value-added cloud services to that compute and storage for those customers. Azure plans to have a limited number of these locations. They don't plan to put antennas at all their data centers. And what we'll see is instead they're partnering with a couple of other GSAS providers like RTE to broaden their coverage. All right. Well, it's, a, it's an exciting partnership uh, with Microsoft. I was going to ask about how did, how did that, um, you know, this partnership come about? Well, we, we worked together on a, a project last year to also enable customers to get data into the cloud. It was another mar part of Viasat and another part of Microsoft Azure 
But in that case, they created the relationship. That project was named Express Route, and its purpose was to get Viasat satellite communication customers' data directly into the Azure cloud. So that effort established a Viasat and Microsoft working relationship. So when Microsoft came interested in doing Azure Orbital and being in the GSAS business, they approached us about what we were doing and how could we work together. And that led to this partnership. So how does Viasat fit into that Azure Orbital ecosystem? Maybe just a little more color around that. So we fit into the Orbital ecosystem in two ways. First, Orbital customers, when they go on to the Azure Orbital marketplace, they'll see RTE capabilities as a service provider in the marketplace. So they can fulfill their needs on an Azure Orbital antenna. They can they can choose to use an RTE antenna. Whatever tailored service solution best fits their needs through that combination. And second, the obverse is true for RTE customers. We, through RTE, can offer the orbital antennas at their data centers as part of our service solution to meet an RTE customer's needs. So it's really a, we can do things both ways. Their customers can use our antennas, our customers can use their antennas, and our customers can deliver data into the Azure cloud that way. Okay, well, yeah, it's really uh, neat the way that all fits together. So uh, one of the other things I wanted to ask about when you, we talk about Ground Station as a service, uh, what other types of applications might be out there that, that you could speak about that might be in the future um, for Viasat? I think the future is going to be really interesting in, in how this plays out and what new applications, both on orbit and in, from GSAS, emerge. And let me describe that just a little. So the GSAS marketplace itself, itself is pretty diverse, both on the customer end of the spectrum and the service provider end of the spectrum. What we see in the service provider is a, is a growing number of, of folks being in the marketplace to provide this service, just as we see with the addition of Azure Orbital. Some of these service providers try to be all things to all needs for the customers. Many of the new entrants aren't doing that. And what they're doing is they're targeting specific services to a portion of the customer space, which means they're targeting specific groups or classes of customers. On the customer end, what we see is most people uh, traditionally look at GSAS, just as you introduced this, as service in the low altitude or LEO Earth observation or imaging customers. What I think we're going to see over time is a number of other missions evolve. This is where it's going to get really interesting. And that, that GSAS can and will support these. These include the Internet of Things, satellite servicing, debris removal, space surveillance, and, and other types of missions that are based in space. And so the lowering of the cost of space launch and, and rapid advancements we've seen in miniaturization, on-orbit computing, make these new space-based businesses possible, and they're all going to need GSAS support. So, Alex, I think the future's bright uh, for the kind of things we, need, we get to do as a GSAS provider, um, and, and we'll see over time how that evolves. But it's an exciting space to be in. And so, yeah, there's, uh, th as you said, the, the cost of getting some of these small sets in, in orbit has is, is come down quite a bit. But but the cost of having a, a accompanying ground system is quite a bit quite a bit different. So that's what uh, this GSAS uh, kind of makes the entry of just a little, little bit easier. Absolutely correct. So these ground stations, I think you said, would be maybe 10 or 12 uh, around the globe, ultimately. Um, and we recently uh, started operating one of them in Australia. And it's a pretty interesting story, and I was wondering if you could uh, talk a little bit about that. It's a great story, and really fun to talk about. Uh, and it's incredible uh, what we did in Alice Springs in, in two ways. 
the first is the story of two disparate needs coming together in a win-win situation. Uh, Viasat needed an RTE station in Australia for Southern Hemisphere coverage. At the same time, the Australian government and its indigenous people uh, were looking for new ways to invest money that would advance the indigenous people's welfare. Uh, it's, a, it's a normal thing there that the Australian government uh, invests money uh, for housing and other types of things for the indigenous people. And they do those as businesses. Well, through our Viasat Australia component, the idea of combining these two needs of Viasat and the Australians came together and was teed up, can we make this work? It took quite a period of negotiation to sort out the right terms, but the result now is we have an indigenous people-owned ground station with two antennas, and Viasat has exclusive rights to use those two antennas in RTE for 10, 10 years. This ground station has created new jobs for their Aboriginal people, and it's their first high-tech investment. Uh, the second part of the story is also incredible. Viset built the antennas, and as we were shipping them to Australia, COVID-19 hit the world. Both the U.S. and Australia put in severe travel restrictions, particularly between the countries and even between territories in Australia. So we, Viasat, couldn't send our normal installation team from Atlanta uh, to stack the antennas. We were kind of in a box. So we worked with the Viasat Australia folks and our indigenous partner, CFAT, uh, to identify local installation support, people that could stack the antenna with our help from Atlanta. And some of those folks still had to quarantine for 14 days entering the Northern Territory where Alice Springs is located. Our team here in Viasat Atlanta worked remotely with that local team to stack an antenna and test the antennas, and they did that successfully. It was a great global team effort to overcome COVID-19, and it was our good first engagement between these two teams on opposite sides of the world. And we set, think that sets a great stage for a long-term successful relationship. Wow. Yeah, it really is a super cool story. And, and we have a, a blog post about it uh, on, and I'll add the link to the show notes uh, here on the podcast. Um, so you talked, you talked about the future uh, of the service in general, but I was just wondering if you can talk a little bit more specifically about like, what, what are you working on now? Uh, what is the next, uh, maybe the next ground station you're, you're working on? So we're in the process of bringing up a ground station in Ghana, uh, located in Accra, Ghana, in Western Africa. The antenna for that is built, stacked, and undergoing testing. Uh, our civil works for that site uh, has begun. We're also working on building uh, an antenna, starting to build an antenna that we'll put somewhere in Scandinavia next year. That site selection process is uh Undergoing, ongoing right now uh, to determine which partner we would pick to, to host us to put our, our own Viasat-owned antenna at that location. And here in the next uh, month or so, we'll bring up an antenna in Argentina in concert with the base agency, CONI. Uh, where we will have co-use of that asset in Argentina. Wow, that is a really globe-spanning uh, endeavor there. Yes, thank you. That's what it takes to run a GSAS. Do you have, is there someone on your team who's kind of like the, the scout uh, or, uh, you know, a couple of people that, that are going out and looking for these sites? We have some people on the team that have uh, quite a history in this business that this is their second or third go-around in doing GSAS. Uh, some of that was in the government. 
And then some of that was at one of the legacy providers. Um, so they're pretty well familiar with the business and locations that are strategic for this business. But on top of that, we leverage uh, our corporate assets uh, in Carlsbad, who are working on putting Viasat 3 ground stations around the world. So we're trying to leverage uh, both our own uh, heritage of the team with corporate Viasat knowledge and expertise to scout those new locations. And where possible, maybe locate together with some of the Viasat 3 infrastructure. Yeah, well, it makes a lot of sense. Well, it's a really fascinating uh, part of the Viasat business. Uh, so I really appreciate you uh, taking the time to talk with us today, John, and, and best of luck with Real-Time Earth going forward. Thank you, Alex. Great pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Viasat podcast. If you know someone you think would be interested in what you've heard on this episode, please share. You can always find the latest episode on our blog at corpblog.yasat.com. And you can subscribe at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, just about anywhere you get your podcasts.